that habit I'm afraid I still don't have it yet I've tried coin and stamp collecting Chocolate and wine tasting Bicycle and horse racing <laughs> But I bet the coins on a losing horse The stamps I sent to you, of course Along with all my letters And every chocolate that I knew The wine that used to fill my shelf Well, I drank it Another failed attempt at getting over loving you uh, I feel like what that journal was for me was like a way of processing a lot of what happened on our, you know, like I was, I was keeping a handwritten journal while we were on our trip. And then once I, once we came back, I sort of like spent several months pouring over it and trying to add details based on what I could remember uh, right. before it all got lost. Uh, right. And it's, it's weird now because it's like, when I think about my bike trip, it's just kind of a blur. I mean, I remember things from it, but the names and the place names and all of that is like, I don't know, hard to grasp. On the last episode of Someone Else's Blues, I told you about how I completed a bike trip from Northampton, Massachusetts to Appleton, Wisconsin in the spring of 2013. I told you about how my twin brother Sam finally sent me a copy of the journal he kept while he embarked upon a similar cross-country bike trip two years before, a trip that ended tragically when one of his traveling companions, Bill Cranshaw, was struck and killed by a car outside of Searcy, Arkansas. I told you about how Bill's mother mistook me for my twin brother on the morning of her son's memorial service, and how Sam started writing music as a way of managing his grief and his trauma. And while many of my brother's songs have carried a particular weight for me because I have always been able to listen to them with some orientation about their source, I don't think the real weight of that trauma hit me until I read Sam's journal, the document I am about to share with you. If I were not me, and you were not you, did not both know what we've both been through. My name is Will Steffen. Welcome to Someone Else's Blues, a podcast about twins, twinship, and the best singer-songwriter you've never heard of. I'd be singing someone else's blues. Part 4. Better Sandy than in love with someone who doesn't love you back. Can you tell me what happened out there? I don't know. Just what happened. I just need you to say what you saw. I don't know. I mean, you were there, weren't you? Didn't you see any of it? You don't need me to tell it to you. My friend... But how it happened, I need you to say it to me the way you saw it so I can write the report. You say you were coming down the road. Yeah, we were coming down the road. And where were you heading? I don't know. I mean, which direction? I don't know. East, I guess. Do you know that for sure? I, I don't know. I think it was east. Okay, east. And where were you coming from? I don't know. We were in a driveway. Okay, listen. I know this is hard for you, I know that, but I need you to tell me what you saw out there, because of everyone who we've spoken to so far, you're the closest we've got to an eyewitness. And what I put down here from you is going to be important for whatever happens to that woman. What woman? 
the woman who was driving that car. It was a woman? Now, you say you were coming down the road. I'd just like to know where you were coming from. California. No, I mean today. I don't know. We were on the lake this morning. I, I can't remember the name of it. Okay, where were you trying to get to? I don't know. All right, just take a minute. Just take a deep breath and take a minute. Sorry. That's all right. Just take it easy. Now back up a minute there. Did you just say you came here all the way from California? Yeah. And all of you were just on your bikes? Yeah. Holy shit. This is how my brother Sam introduces his journal entry for Thursday, March 21st, 2011. Two days before he would set off on a cross-country bike trip from Irvine, California, with three of his friends from college, Paul Cavanaugh, Hannah Liddy, and Bill Cranshaw. As I mentioned on the last episode, my brother Sam sent me all 491 pages of his bike journal, only after I had sent him a copy of a journal I had kept during a bike trip I completed with my friend Bob Gruber from Northampton, Massachusetts to Appleton, Wisconsin in May of 2013. My brother's trip lasted 45 days and ended prematurely when Bill was struck by a car and killed in Searcy, Arkansas on Monday, May 16th, 2011. On the first episode of Someone Else's Blues, I told you about how Sam started writing music to deal with his grief, to share his trauma with an audience. He also prepared his journal to share his trauma with an audience, but as he explained it to me, he does not expect any stranger to just sit down and read this. Yeah, it's not that I don't want them to know about it, or um, it just feels like, you know, it's, what, like 400 pages or something? It just feels like no one would want to, like, sit down and read this unless they were, like, a personal acquaintance of mine or, um, I don't know. It just it just feels like it's, like, a little, uh, it, it's not something that I I see as, like, very marketable in the, in the sense of like, um, yeah. Oh, oh, I think a lot of people would want to read this and, uh, it would be an interesting like memoir kind of thing. I mean, I guess part of like, I, I tried to, I wrote this novel like after that, that I thought maybe might be a more accessible way for people to access like some of the things I was thinking about my own grieving process. Um, or I guess that's kind of what that novel was to me. It was like an attempt to try to mm-hmm. try to make make some of my personal stuff more um, like universal or accessible to readership or an audience that's not necessarily uh, acquainted with my friends. Right. Uh, yeah, and I guess like songwriting is kind of a similar thing, you know, some of those songs are, contain elements that, that would be uh, accessible to people who are dealing with their own kinds of grief, you know? Right, right. But maybe the burden of what my brother has been unloading through his music is only clear to me now, as I stand at this precipice, preparing to abridge this mammoth document for you in an hour, or two, or three of digestible audio. How the hell does he do this? How the hell does he cram so much into a verse or the chorus of a song? I think I am beginning to understand why my brother has written so many songs. Or maybe I am beginning to wonder why he hasn't written a few hundred more. It turns out that my brother and I shared a lot of the same thoughts and sentiments on our respective bike trips. For one, while I found myself trying to imagine how Sam had experienced the country while I was on the road, Sam was also being prompted by stories of cross-country bike trips he had heard before his departure. Steve Schmidt, who worked with Sam at the Bethlehem Bike Co-op, told Sam of how he rode his bike across the country and did not carry anything of how, when he came to a bar, he would ask to have his water bottle filled with beer, and sometimes they would just let him have it for free, of how he was frequently surprised by the kindness of strangers, 
and was once given a meal and a place to sleep merely because he had stopped to ask for directions. Al Wirth, a close friend of our parents, who had never undertaken a cross-country bike trip himself, told Sam that he knew people who had done a cross-country trip and knew that they had fought fiercely with one another while they had done it. Yeah, two of the guys I remember hearing from didn't speak to each other for 2,000 miles, and by the time they made it to the coast, they parted ways and never saw each other again. But they did it. But I don't think that'll happen to you. John Smith, another family friend who had pedaled across the country, told me once about using his jacket to mount a sail to his bike somewhere in the Midwest where the roads are flat and the winds are strong. And then there were Sam's friends, Liza Birnbaum and Annika Olson, who, he wrote, came to visit me in Bethlehem a week before we left, who had, the previous fall, made a trip from Seattle to Santa Fe, from Annika's home to Liza's whose advice was about pride and tears. Don't be too proud. If you have to go to a hotel, just do it. Nobody is going to care. And you should probably just get ready to hate everybody you're traveling with. Because Liza and I got into some pretty serious fights. And get ready to cry. Because you're probably definitely going to cry a little bit. And that's alright too. And who told us to eat ice cream every day, if at all possible. I should mention here that reading Sam's journal is a bit like reading a professor's annotations on a young and naive student's first draft. There are two voices at work in the journal, two Sams. One is writing in the present tense and doesn't know how his trip will end. The other is much older, a wise sage whose italicized interjections penetrate and punctuate in a way that often leaves the reader bleeding and crippled. The second voice lives in the past tense, relishes the conditional, avoids the future, and often leaves you holding the truth like rocks in your pockets with the tide coming in. It's the second voice, this italicized one, that remembers Annika saying that. Because you're probably definitely going to cry a little bit. you everything. If I had to, I might boil it all down to the story behind a lost feather, a dead butterfly, and a scorned prayer. But that would fall short of what this story deserves. By the way, for this episode, I contacted Hannah Liddy and Paul Cavanaugh and was able to record our phone conversations. Hannah spoke with me from her parents' house in Rome, New York, a place I rode through on my bike trip without knowing it was Hannah's hometown. Until recently, Hannah was a postdoc at Columbia, working as the executive officer of the Global Research Project, AIMS, which stands for Analysis, Integration, and Modeling of the Earth System. Dr. Liddy earned her PhD in Earth Science with a focus in paleoclimate and isotope geochemistry at USC. Paul spoke with me from his home in Tacoma, Washington, where he works as a high school teacher you know, future paleoclimatologists would be able to detect it in the rock record. The one thing that I, I, I think really stands out to me in looking back over that the journal, at least that Sam sent me, um, is thinking about like the what happened to you kind mm-hmm. of on the what in the on day two or three yeah. uh, <laughs> in, in Palm Springs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, on Sunday, April third, the second day of the trip the four traveled from Lake Paris and ended the day in a hotel in Palm Springs, California. I doubt there will be many days like today, Sam wrote, unitalicized. Awake early. Make coffee at Lake Paris. Paul, Bill, Hannah, and I eat, talk about the day. 
We decide we ought to walk down to the lake first. Walk to the lake. A strange beetle crawls obscurely upon the earth. Count the million birds. Identify. We see vultures at the lake and gulls and finches. On the beach, three men are fishing. It is eight o'clock. On the walk back from the lake, Paul says, Man, when I think about how many times in my life I've probably walked under a tree that must have had an owl in it that I didn't see because I wasn't looking, I get seriously bummed out. Later that day, on the road, on their way to Palm Springs, this happens. After about a mile, we come to a paved section. Now we are near the place where the turbines turn. As soon as we get on our bikes, we begin to zoom. This is because there is a 35 mile per hour tailwind at our backs, and it blows us almost as fast without our having to do much of anything. We sit and ride that way for almost 20 miles, watching the enormous turbines spread out like enormous white trees at the foot of the mountains. And I remember that road was rough and full of cracks and that often you would be going too fast to feel safe about it, even though it was not downhill. It was merely rough, with whole portions of the road completely gone, though where or how it was impossible to say, and in some places gaps that looked as though the road had simply been broken by earthquake or jackhammer and left apart by a space no more than a foot wide. And I remember Paul pulling at his handlebars and leaping such gaps, and Bill and I thinking every moment that our tires, no matter how well we avoided what there was to avoid, would, before the end of this road, be completely flat. We arrive then at an overpass leading back over the highway, and we cross it. In the town of West Palm Springs, we are met by two police officers. Here the wind is so bad there is no place for the ravens to land. They spread their wings looking very much like crows, except that they are much bigger. There is nothing in this town but gated off empty houses and an abandoned gas station, and dust. The dust swirls furiously in the wind. It is an important conversation we have with the policemen. We ask them first if there is any way we might take this road, being the one we are on, on the north side of the highway, which appears to lead from West Palm Springs to a destination unknown, to Route 62, or if we ought to take the interstate. We ask the officers this latter question, strictly to know the legality of it. We already know it is illegal, but we pretend to ignorance for the benefit of our circumstance. Our destination is Desert Hot Springs. Are we allowed to take Route I-10? They think about it in a collective way, flipping through the pages of a county map with roads drawn upon it which are not down upon ours, exchanging glances and befuddlements before responding in a voice which, over top of the wind and the dust blowing furiously, sounds almost too loud for what it is asking. Do you want to die? We say nothing. We stand in the wind, wrestling with the sheriff's map a while longer, considering our options. Eventually, they persuade us that our best option is to try Route 111, which, to get to, we must ride the interstate to the next exit. We agree to do this, telling the officers we will walk with our bikes but struggle amongst ourselves to decide whether, once we are on the interstate, it would not be better to simply ride it the 10 miles all the way to Route 62, our ultimate destination. We agree. Whoever leads shall be the leader. When he or she arrives at the exit, he or she will make the call, and the rest shall follow after. But by whatever fate or circumstance, when we arrive at the on-ramp, I am leading and we enter the interstate along the shoulder and have an easy time riding. The wind remains at our backs, blowing us on quickly, giving me to think, should we determine to try to go on to Route 62, it would be a quick 10 miles, and we have a considerably wide shoulder, nearly the size of a traffic lane, not to mention the comfort of a lane almost no one uses to our immediate left, so that as we approach the off-ramp mere minutes later, it has taken almost no time at all, and I am thinking that we should go on, keep going, and am even resolved to do it, to keep going, but I am compelled to exit the road. And how the wind carries us. We turn on to Route 111 and make our way towards Palm Springs. I do not think I pedal on the road the whole time we are on it. Route 111. It is a highway, the speed limit of which is 55 miles per hour. It is a nice road, all things considered with two lanes of traffic running each direction, separated by a wide median of earth and rock and plants. 
We are literally sailing until, by what mysterious force, when we are still a mile outside of Palm Springs, we come around a bend in the road beside which an enormous rocky bluff looms tall. As Bill and I ride past this, we are out in front with Paul and Hannah trailing not far behind. A gust of wind surges and blows us nearly into traffic. Bill and I both throw the whole of our weight over and dismount, still well within the space of the shoulder. We wait a moment, and then we ride on. That was just really scary, and I and it was like, I think we all reflected on that quite a bit, like both on the trip and like after the trip. Um, yeah. Because it was like, yeah, because I mean, I think that there was just like obviously the question after that happened of like whether or not, like, so yeah, Hannah, Hannah, we were just riding and Hannah, like, we we're coming around like a curve coming towards Palm Springs and us. Maybe I'll just kind of, okay, I'll, I'm going to tell you how I remember it. And yeah, I feel like it would also be interesting since you do have the encyclopedia of what happened since. <laughs> <laughs> so you can correct me. <laughs> um, but it was just crazy. I mean, I still think, it's still, I feel like it, uh, I still think about it a lot uh, whenever there's like a strong gust of wind and I'm on my bike or something like that because it was just bizarre. We, we were biking and we were almost to Palm Springs. We were like, I feel like maybe 10 miles out. Um, uh-huh pretty close and uh and then it was just the way that the the sort of geology was like there it was like kind of a road cut or there's like a pretty big um cliff wall a rock wall like a plateau type thing on to the right and then the wind was blowing really strong over it but it was so concentrated as you just pass through it through that mm-hmm. sort of narrow passage and so then um I feel like I might have been in the back, too, or something. I don't know. If, I don't think I was the first, but just this gust of wind came up, and I had absolutely no control. It was just like I was, like, blown just parallel, like, <laughs> like absolutely, yeah. or not parallel, but perpendicular to the road. Like, it was just right, right across. And then wow. um, without even realizing anything, like, then all there's a car that started to swerve beside me, and... um and this all happened in like a couple of seconds, it felt like. And then I was just on the other side of the road. And then the car had um, barely missed me and then was um, kind of slowly losing speed over the, like, all the bushes and, like, the the rocks of the, the median. A car, like, in order to not hit her, ran off the road and, like, onto the median like thank god there was a median like Mm -hmm. a big wide dirt median that this car just like drove into oh wow and then i just had this awful feeling because just the way the car had slowed and stopped and i just was like all of a sudden terrified that something had happened to the driver and i just remember running off of my bike and running to the door of the car and then this woman, I just her face is like looking at me. Her eyes are huge, and she just gets out of the car, and then we just like hugged each other. We just embraced. Um, oh wow! Uh, <laughs> it was just felt so like we had both just kind of just missed, um, missed. Uh, yeah. Uh, more severe outcome. <laughs> Wow, and so yeah. it was just, and then it was pretty shake. It took me up quite a bit to have that happen on, like, the second day. It felt very right. ominous, and I guess as it maybe should have. Um. Hannah is crying hysterically. Bill and I leave our things on the roadside, cross the highway to the median, and run back to them. We arrive in time to hear the woman say to her, My God, you know what, though? If I had hit you, I would feel so much shittier than I do right now. I'm just glad you're okay. It is one of the scariest things I have ever seen. My life with Hannah comes in this moment very near to me. I think of her only this morning, shrieking while she packed her pannier bags at a bug that crawled onto her hand, then apologizing profusely, saying, Sorry guys, I can't help it. Sometimes I just have to shriek. I am glad she is okay, too, but I am so afraid for her now. 
we put up with a fire truck and three firemen, then a taxi service, then a police officer. There is a story that they tell us about a car being picked up by the wind and blown right through a billboard. There are white crosses in the median lanes. The firemen tell us there are at least 20 accidents on this road a year around this time, all on account of the wind. They tell us we really should not be riding bikes on it. We tell them it is what the police told us to do. They do not seem concerned. Hannah tries to get her insurance information from her mother, but cannot speak to her without bursting into tears and hanging up the phone. It is a very tense situation. There is something about it that not only makes me afraid for, but actually makes me afraid of Hannah. Something that is in her that wants her to be something other, not better, not even different, but other than what she is. It is as though she must prove to herself by proving to others that she is able to be fearless and unafraid. Does she not know how afraid I am? How afraid we all are? Not only of this, but of everything? Not only for ourselves, but for one another? Do we even know it ourselves, I wonder, even now? Or now? She is better than she knows for being who and what she is than she believes. I only wish there was some way to tell her how my heart withered, to feel for the shadow of a moment that it did, the possibility of her absence. How my own life flashed before my eyes to see hers endangered, if in fact it ever was. The same, perhaps, as I wish there was some way to know myself what there even is to do with such bitter and unwanted knowledge. And it was like, yeah, it was so scary. And like the fire, like police and fire trucks came. Um, this was like, I seriously think it might have been like day two of the bike yeah, trip. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And like just the day before, we were like leaving my parents' house and like riding with my dad and like, like a few of my friends from high school joined us and road to Paris Lake or Lake Paris, I don't remember. But mm-hmm. um but yeah, it it was very scary and like Hannah was obviously like so rattled and like none of us really wanted to ride anymore that day. Yeah, I think I made everybody walk up bikes. <laughs> I really didn't want to I don't think Sam myself or Alan anybody I was just so freaked out and then we like watched our bikes. We were like so so scared and we were like not very far from town. Like we were in the desert but it was like you know, it was like you could like see Palm Springs. Right. Um, and we were like, we, you know, we like talked to the police and they like got everyone like exchanged information. The driver was like fine. She was just like, I mean, she was really rattled. She almost like ran into Hannah and like almost like, like, you know, it was just like a really close call. I think her car was like a little bit damaged, like under, I don't know. I think she well, just, right. like, ran into right. a bunch of bushes, but, yeah. um, and then we, I remember, like, sort of getting to the end of our, like, what are we doing here, and we, like, settled things or whatever, and we're like, wow, okay, so, like, thanks, you know, fire fighters or whatever for, mm-hmm. for, like, helping us, like, can, can you, like, give us a ride, <laughs> like, <laughs> into town or something. like we don't want to bike anymore um, yeah and they were like no like we can't like give anybody a ride unless it's an emergency or something like what like what what constitutes an emergency i don't know i just right. remember being like so annoyed that they wouldn't like they're like there to help us and then they all just like got in their cars and drove away um right and then we just we just walked like the rest of the way along the side of the like highway um into into town and then stayed at like the shittiest little motel 
Paul will tell us later when we are gathered about a tablecloth with chilled beers and much wanted food coming of how, when he was talking to the firemen, he farted a fart that was so powerful. It was not only heard, but could actually be smelled in spite of the 60 mile an hour winds within which we stood. And that he had tried very hard not to laugh when he smelled it and had tried to pretend to listen to what the firemen were saying. We will laugh to hear that then. It will already be funny. But in the billows between the crosses with the traffic slowed and the vehicle stopped and the emergency men in their uniforms looking serious, asking their questions and explaining themselves, and Hannah crying and Bill standing there, not saying much. I remember Paul saying to me while we stood by and watched, I don't think I'm going to tell my parents about this. And after the wind had blown heavy again, I mean ever. We walk a mile into Palm Springs, and all the while Hannah is saying, guys, I think we should get back on and ride now. It's fine. I'm telling you, it's fine, really. But we do not, because it isn't. We are in a hotel now, having eaten across the road at a spaghettiria. We each tell our rose and our bud. The thorn is unanimous, and we do not speak it. I remember we mentioned briefly the possibility of discontinuing the trip, though I do not remember how exactly the matter was dispensed with. Perhaps Hannah merely said, No, tomorrow we will go on. Nothing happened today. Everything was fine and will be. And that was that. Perhaps it was not so many words. But I do remember believing that. That in the grand infinity of the possible, something like this had been forever bound to happen, even as early on in the trip as it actually had. There was almost a kind of sense it made, that on the second day we should be given our greatest incentive not to go on, to turn back as though this day itself had been a threshold, as perhaps each day only is, and there was a time now to turn back before there would be no way to anymore. Except that now the thing had happened, it was done with, and because it had so early on, it was impossible that we should continue without far greater vigilance and awareness of what it should be possible to encounter out here in the naked world. I think there was the feeling unanimous in us, just as there was silence about what impossible thing had just taken place. That there would be no more lapses in attention now, no more misplayed moves from here on out. We would be more conscious of ourselves in relation to our mobile environment. And safety, no matter what, would come first. But only in light of and after the presumed stipulation out of which that rule could be derived, that we would ride on, even if for no other reason than to discover what for. Our hotel is awful. It has no toilet paper, a toilet that flushes perpetually, dirty towels, cockroaches. And we got, like, we stayed in the hotel, like the very first hotel that we came to. Um, Yeah. And I remember either it was filled with bugs or Bill was just to say that it was filled with bugs. Um, I was checking for bed bugs and... There was like cockroaches in the bathroom, and <laughs> and we we were like, I don't know, I don't even know like what our conversations. Are. I remember then we went to, we went across we like put our stuff down and went across the street, um, to like a spaghetti place and like had a beer, and like I don't remember. I just kind of, like, have a memory, and I don't know. I I feel like there was talk, like, I don't remember if Hannah immediately called her parents, and then, like, one of us talked to them. Uh-huh. Or, like, like right after that. Like, I think, actually, I think, like, Hannah needed some information from them. And, like, Sam or I or Bill, like... Like, Hannah, like, called and then, like, immediately handed the phone to one of... Like, she was just obviously, like, not going to be able to talk to her parents in wow. a calm way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that then one of us was like, yeah, everything's okay. Um, everyone's fine. And what's your... 
like insurance. (laughs) 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 And it was just like, I mean, I think that, you know, looking back on it or just like, wow, I can't believe that. I think that when we went out to dinner, it was kind of like, like, you know, like, do, do, does everyone, like, should we stop? Like, like, especially Hannah, like, like, do you, do you want to keep going? And, and she was just like, I I think in my mind, I don't have like a clear memory of this, but obviously she wanted to continue. Um, Yeah. And we just, we just like went on. I mean, wow. It seems crazy to like have such a close call. After being in LA, I went to Palm Springs a lot. And so I kind of went through that area quite a number of times in the following years. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I guess really like it highlights that like arbitrariness of of a lot of things that happened on that bike trip, which is like it all felt random, you know. I don't think it's at all fateful that like or that there's any reason or grand plan or any sort of that I didn't get hit and that Bill did, you know. Like it just yeah, it's one of those things that really haunts me about. Why? Like, why? I guess it just sort of drives home the the fact that, like, we knew that it was really dangerous and, like, what the, like, what could happen and, like, yeah. still wanted to do it, which is, like, which I think, like, you and, like, my dad could say the same. Right. Like, you probably probably don't know unless Sam told you. But my dad also went on a cross-country bike trip, like, a few years after our bike trip. and Oh, really? I don't... Yeah, and it's, like, so... Wow. So, like... I guess I've had the same kind of thought, like, where I'm like, how dare you? Like... Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then I... But... But then, like, I, I never told him, like, not to, or never... I never even, like, confronted him about it at all like I think there was a part of me that was kind of like taken aback by that but also obviously yeah. under, understood like the the compulsion to do that and I think like part of maybe why I never objected to it is because like I was saying earlier like the trip was so good like it was right. so <laughs> such a beautiful experience and I wow. like it's I loved it so much, and I yeah. think it's just really hard to hold those, hold those two, like, like hold that, and and also hold the fact that the trip ended with Bill's death. I recall Bill lifting the mattress and opening the drawers in the desk and lifting the picture slightly away from the wall, saying, "Sorry guys, but I gotta check for bed bugs." And other things, too, apparently. It was something he did in every hotel room we went to. In Laughlin, Nevada, in Dalhart, Texas. Lifting a mattress for bedbugs. How do you know if it has bedbugs, we asked him. Aren't they too small to see? Blood spots, he says. If there's blood spots, we're all sleeping on the floor. The hotel is $50 a night. I am sad and afraid, but happy, too. That we are all alive that it is sometimes only in relation to the possibility of no longer being so, to the chance of its having been revoked from you, that one's privilege is realized as such. Hannah says, today really was like a Stand By Me movie, all of it. Everyone is asleep now. Paul and Hannah are in a bed. Bill is snoring, like moving furniture. It is three o'clock a.m. in Bethlehem right now. I will be asleep by then. The wind was, it was just, it just was, I think, like a matter of being at the wrong place at the wrong time. I think it was yeah. just that, it was just such a strong gust, like the way that it was like narrowing and concentrating over the, the rocks. Right. You know, like, you know, 
it's very, very plain, like, yep. what the p- possible, like, outcomes of this can be. And, like, then for some reason, like, you're still, like, you still want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think you're, you're right. I think that after we had, like, a firefighter had come out. And I think they told us that there's been times when cars have been blown across, so... Yeah, there were, and I kind of forgot about this. There were a couple other times on the trip when, when it was really windy and it was scary, and like we had, we got off our bikes and just walked. Um, yeah, wow. And I think, yeah, partic- like Hannah was particularly like, like understandably, you know, like aware of it. Um, and yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was just something that we dealt with again and that I think, like, brought brought up, like, brought back that experience from Palm Springs again. And, yeah. And uh, that was definitely, like, left a, left a mark. Was there any kind of follow-up after that incident with the woman in the car? Like, did did she... Oh. Did she, like, press charges or something against you, or was it... Was <laughs> you know, um, wait, wait, oh, shoot. I wish I could remember exactly. Um, my... She did, actually. Uh, wow. Wait, I'll, I'll, I'll text you. I'll follow up with you about this, because my parents helped me with it. Yeah. But there was something, um, there was some type of, like, lawsuit. Because, like, about... did, did the woman's car get damaged or something when she pulled yeah, the median? Yeah, it did, yeah. It did. Oh, okay. And so, um, you're totally right. I completely forgot about that. There's, like, I just feel like everything that happened after those, that was, like, a total... No, um, I, I, no and I totally... Out. Yeah, I think that's so shitty that, like, you guys finished this trip and it ended in the worst possible way, and then you had to, like, kind of deal with this thing that, like, yeah, happened see, on day three. This is what I'm talking like, about my memory, though, is that it just, like, <laughs> it, like, has a right of the negative part. Um, right. Try to take all good advice. Don't do once what you must do twice. Don't be mean, always be nice and kind Keep your head up and do your best Make sure you get yourself plenty of rest Be a leader, see that no one's left behind Chew your food and be polite When it ain't in use, turn off the light Don't be late, be early or at least be right on time Wear a helmet, don't get hurt Comb your hair, tuck in your shirt Wait your turn, you'll soon be next in line But it's hard to keep on grinning When everyone except you is winning And everything feels like it's spinning Right down the toilet bowl's mainstream And even if you got that Midas touch Time still turns everything to dust Night to morning, dawn to dusk, gold to brass and steel to rust. Nothing ain't worth much in the grand scheme. The wind generated another problem for the group in Garitas Creek on April 28th. In the afternoon, the wind turns on us. Riding becomes almost unbearably difficult, but we ride on through the cattle lands. Then we decide to stop. We try calling a telephone number that is written on a board outside of a ranch to ask about camping somewhere on their property, but no one answers. In the end, we decide the best place to camp would be under a small overpass of dried up Garita Creek, about 15 miles outside of Gonchas, New Mexico. I think of Frank and Holly. They slept on the roadside last night. Even we had not had to do that yet. I wonder where they are sleeping tonight. It is a windy, dusty, desperate affair. Under the concrete coping, all along the bridge, are rows of swallows' nests, running all the way from one side of the bridge to the other. Swallows, according to Bill's bird book, are one of the only birds that build colonies. 
Their nests are very interesting little structures made out of a dense red material that resembles clay. How they are formed, I haven't the slightest idea. It is windy under the bridge, and getting our bikes down is some process. We have to dismantle them and carry them down, making several trips over the rocks. Almost no cars pass over us, but we wish to be out of sight on the off chance that someone should see us and accuse us of trespassing. We are all very tired. We pitch our tents very poorly on a concrete slab that is covered over by a foot of loose and broken earth. Our tent stakes will not take to the ground. We bring rocks into the tent with us to keep them from blowing away altogether. For dinner, we make polenta and couscous and do our best to save our water. In the night, it grows very windy and it is by far the worst night of sleep yet. Most of the night, the four of us are breathing into our lungs the fine red dust of the Garita cattle fields, listening to the noisy affair of our tents flapping. Paul says he tried to sleep with his ears plugged and his handkerchief over his mouth. I was breathing it into my lungs. From my tent, I could hear them conversing. Oh my God, Bill, look at how much sand is in here. This is insane. What are you talking about? It's fine. We're fine. That's not sand. There's so much sand in here. How do you not feel like you're suffocating? Better to be sandy than dead. God, it's in my fucking sleeping bag. I don't even understand how it's possible, but there's actually sand inside my sleeping bag. Better Sandy than in love with someone who doesn't love you back. Yeah, that's true. Oh my god, I have to shake this out. Get up, we have to start over. We awake the next morning feeling that we have not slept at all. We are all rather grumpy and annoyed. We do not even have enough food for breakfast. Like, I feel like it's, it's, it's moments. It's moments as a chip where, where Bill stood out. Yeah. Um, because it, it was his humor that I feel like kept me from giving up so many times. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and, like, um, and he was just... It, it, it was just, like, his... I mean, he's, a, he's an incredible person regardless, but I think especially in that context. I mean, I was reading in here where there was like a streak of three days where he was in a terrible mood and I didn't know why. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like, I just remember him just being this, you couldn't imagine someone you would rather go on a trip like that with because I feel like he had this, this full control control of angling of like bad moods you know like he was able yeah. to he was able to see it and to allow it and to like and then crack it open you know like to really yeah. um <laughs> to really make <laughs> I just like just like in little moments I feel like he was really helping to orchestrate like I remember there's like the the water was sometimes like a really stressful um uh, amenity, I guess. Like where it was like there were times when it was infrequent. Like there would be like ninety stretches of of road where we knew we wouldn't have access to water, so we had to make sure that we were carrying enough. But then it was so goddamn heavy and like oh and yeah, it was just it was always just like really big. Well, wait. So was Bill thing. usually the one carrying the water? Sam and Bill, I would say, I, oh, okay. I really, really stepped up a lot. Like, I felt like Sam, you know, like, you could just depend on him for the end of the world. Like, he's just so <laughs> reliable and careful. <laughs> and so, but I think that he would get pretty stressed, you know, to make sure that we did have enough. And so there yeah. was just moments when I think Bill was able to kind of ease the tension of it by, like, saying that he had dumped it out, like, <laughs> Back or something. <laughs> when wow. I was like worriedly ask about it or something, you know, like or, or if I did or like you know. Um, huh. So yeah. it was like it was that. That's kind of like his humor was just so amazing. And then um, yeah, I I mean I should yeah to be honest like that's actually one thing that stands out in Sam's like the the moments I kind of want to focus on too are, are all these like hilarious speeches by Bill. <laughs> like, like Sam, I don't know. Again, I don't know if this is Sam remembering like just like to a T or if he's making it up to some extent, but 
but at one point he he includes this like it's like a page long of of Bill like going on about how like when he he's noticed like you know when I get to the bathroom these days it's like it's like I make it at just before I poop <laughs> like, it's like like I don't know what it is but it's like as soon as I get to the toilet it all just comes out and, like I don't I don't want to present Bill as like this like person who's just like scatological all the time but but that's definitely like what I appreciate about Sam's journal is that. It, like, really captures how funny Bill was. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, what an amazing travel companion he must have been. On May 10th, with just six days to go, in Keystone Lake State Park, Oklahoma. This is the morning we all speak to Annika. Hannah calls her because she has called one of us, maybe Bill, to say that whenever we get to Tennessee, she would be glad to come up and join us for that part of the ride. Hannah calls her. This is also the morning that Bill, upon returning from the bathroom, explains his theory of pooping. So, tell me something. Does this ever happen to you guys? Whenever you guys have to poop, do you feel like you have any time to spare once you finally make it to the bathroom? I mean, I guess that sounds like kind of a crazy question, but I keep having this thing where every time I go to the bathroom, it's like I get there at the last possible second. And this is not the first time this has happened. I swear, it's like as soon as I say something out loud to anybody that I have to poop, it's like it starts this timer in my stomach that gives me something like three minutes exactly to get myself to a toilet. Like, like just now, when I was going to the bathroom, I said, you remember, I said I was going to poop, and then I started walking over there, wasn't too worried about it, you know, I had plenty of time, right? So I'm walking, walking, but then as I'm going, it starts to get more and more urgent, and it's like I can feel it getting heavier and heavier. It's like my body overheard me say I was going to let it... <laughs> it's like my body overheard me say I was going to take it to let it have a dump, and it just started trying to break free or something. It was crazy. I mean, I just barely made it to the bathroom in time. Seriously, the second I sat down, there was poop. There was no waiting. If anybody, I mean anybody, had gotten in my way or if I had left one second after I did, or if there had been somebody in the bathroom when I got in there, definitely would have just shit my pants. And this isn't just now this has happened. This is like every time I go to use the bathroom now. It's like I always end up congratulating myself for not making a total fool of myself by leaving to use the bathroom after it's already too late and shitting my pants. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, isn't it? Does that ever happen to you guys? Come on, Paul. Uh, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, sure. All, all the time, man. All the time. Sam? I guess so. I mean, it's, it's not like I try to make myself poop when I don't have to. Maybe you've been drinking too much coffee. Hannah? Come on. Tell me, am I crazy? You guys are disgusting. The other thing was that then there was another day when it, it was my turn to have the the flat tires and I had had two that day and so yeah. and I and it was a hard day there was like a lot of hills and I was cranky and and then um, we're we're going down a hill and um, you could just see from a distance like a, one of those dust devils forming where it's like uh-huh. the wind starts to whip in like a tornado like a yeah. spiral and then the the dust devils. Uh, come up and like start to get captured into like the wind tunnel turn tornado and uh and then this dust and this these dust devils just come like <laughs> straight towards me <laughs> and I just see it coming and there's like nothing I can do and all I'm just in the middle of it like I'm all like the, there's a dust devil hits me and knock and like I fall over and then I'm just like I was just like getting pummeled wow. after having the hardest day already and then uh, yeah. then Bill comes behind me and he's just like, Hannah, Hannah, like, are you are you okay? And I was like, Bill, I was like, did you see that? Like, are you okay? Like, how, like, that was crazy. And then he just looks at me, he's like, Hannah, he's like, that just happened to you. <laughs> like, it was like this narrow <laughs> enough, like, band of, like, wind and dust and, and like, that it just had hit me 
as nobody else, and he had, like, witnessed it all happen, like, from his, like, vantage point higher on the hill, and, uh, wow. and then, um, that cracked me up. I, like, I still laugh about that, like, just thinking about when you have one of those days and just feel like everything is going wrong for you, and then sometimes yeah. I'll just think about Bill, like, just sitting back and kind of just, because he was so <laughs> compassionate about it, like, he was like, I'm feel so bad that that just happened to you. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and he was, he just, he was just so, like, um, good like that. Okay, then this is the last one. Sorry, I feel like I'm just talking so much. But, no, no, that's fine. Um, but then there was, like, one other day when we were biking and we had gained major elevation. Like, it was so major that, like, we were in, like, a different climate zone. Like, it was just, like, really, it was frigid and cold. And, and oh, then wow. uh, uh, the storm had come in. It was, like, it was in Nevada, and it was, like, a pass. And um, uh-huh. and so we had gotten to the top of it. And while we had were resting at the top of this pass, um, just bitter cold air had come in. And then it was starting to snow. And so then we started going down the other side. And I was always just such a baby. I was such a wimp going downhills. Like, I just it scared mm-hmm. me a lot. So I'd always ride my brakes pretty intensely. And so especially in that iciness, like, I, or with the snow and everything, I was riding my brakes pretty hard. So everyone was gone. And then you couldn't see anyone because, like, the snow was kind of like a, it's kind of a whiteout situation. Oh, and wow. so, um, so then Bill actually turned around and biked back up to come and find me. Um, as I'm like, like as I'm just like slowly, like, I probably have walked faster going down the other side of the road. But then there was Bill coming out of like these, the white, um, the white wall in front of me. And, yeah. uh, he, um, and so it was just like, wow. it was it was just like a great, great, just a great person. But, um, yeah. So. Seven degrees, I got nowhere to go. This time tomorrow, it'll be ten below. Sun's going down, it's starting to snow. Lord, have mercy. Made my mistakes. Got my regrets, dug my own grave, placing those bets. Now I ain't got the money to pay off my debts. Lord have mercy. Friends want me placed under arrest. My family agrees, thinks it'd be for the best. To whom can I turn now? There's nobody left. on me though I now am trembling and did not do my daily share have mercy on me and in the remembering recall how frequent was my On the next episode of Someone Else's Blues, the four give an inspirational speech to a group of students in Fort Defiance, Arizona, and Bill has a midnight encounter with an insistent stranger. Next time on Someone Else's Blues. I guess then I wouldn't be here trying to choose Now between mine and someone else's blues Someone Else's Blues is a podcast written, produced, and edited by Will Steffen. Music, of course, by Sam Steffen. By the way, if you like the music you have been hearing on this podcast, you can hear more at samsteffen.bandcamp.com. 
That's S-A-M-S-T-E-F-F-E-N dot B-A-N-D-C-A-M-P dot com. Samstefan dot Bandcamp dot com. But you should have seen your face that day It looked not a thing like mine Why is it always common sense that says It's alright to just be yourself sometimes Lightning never strikes the same place twice, they say But even if it did, they might not believe that anyway If I were not me, and you were not you, that I would not want not to not be not you. The hardest part about loving you is that it has never been that hard to do.